0: And it's that time again this week at Windsor. Good afternoon, Dr. J. Good afternoon, Arden Beach. How are you going? Not too bad at all. Nice to be back in the, in the pastoral suite here at <laughs> WDBC. How are things at the Link? Yeah, good. Good. Another busy day. Another busy day at the Link. Not too bad at all. That's great. Heaps of stuff coming up. Carol's service first up. Would you expect anything less of a December? Busiest but, yeah. time of the year. Yeah. It's going to be a huge Carol's service.
1: Huge carol service, should be fantastic. It's the 11th of December, so mark your calendars, it's in the evening. Uh, food trucks from 5 to 6 here in the car park, and then from 6 to 8 the program begins. I'm really excited about the band, I'm excited about the the skit, the drama uh, with, with the kids. So I've seen the practices, it looks really cool. Yes, and there's been a curtain installed. So if you're watching online, what what did you call it? The, the Curtain of Destiny. Curtain of Destiny. Yes, yeah, the Curtain of Destiny. The other week we had the AGM and I think it it really went off really well, but the feedback seems to be
0: really good the new format.
1: Yeah, people like the format. They like hearing people in a relaxed way, not just talking to reports, and I think that's something we'll carry on into the future. Uh there's a few things we we're going to keep tweaking, you know, to try to make it better. I think our goal is to provide a space for people to interact around the business and the running of the church. As Baptists and being a congregationalist style of governance, it's important that everyone has an input into that. And so we're going to try to make that time as efficient as possible uh, while also creating a format for people to engage in. So that, that that's a goal. I'd say one disappointing thing that came out of that was we struggled to get the full complement of members to vote? I think only like 76 or 77 percent of the members actually voted, okay. and that makes it difficult when you're trying to appoint elders and things like that. So, yeah, just if you're if that was you. No guilt. Just vote next time. We want everybody to be involved. We're not telling you how to vote. Just just vote. Um, that, that really helps us out. You did say it's the busiest time of
0: year. Christmas is just around the corner. What are we doing in terms of Christmas services this time?
1: Yeah, we're going to actually do what we did last year, which is to run a 5.30 Christmas Eve service. And then the next morning on Christmas Day, a 9.30 a.m. service. So that, we found, really helps people out this time of year with family coming in. A lot of families are getting together again for the first time after COVID, uh, two two pandemic years. So uh, we're trying to create some flexibility. So if you like to celebrate the incarnation on Christmas Eve, you can come at 5.30 p.m. If you like to celebrate on Christmas Day, uh, you can come at 9.30. And the service is is generally a little bit shorter. Uh, It's about an hour. Uh, a little less than that. So all to say, we want to be flexible and accommodating uh, for what people are trying to do as a family or with their friends.
0: And Steve-O and family leaving, we assume, very, very shortly up to to Coffs Harbour. By the time you're hearing this, we'll probably have a definitive answer anyway.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, We can't, you know, we really have no say in this. Uh, We're just very eager spectators on the sidelines. Uh, But I did chat to Stephen yesterday, and he said that the visit up to Coffs Harbor when he candidated went really well. He said the service went well and the conversations seemed to go well. So uh, they're having a vote. And by the time this airs, that vote will have taken place and and we should have an answer. Uh, But I would say all things are trending in that direction that they're going to be taking a call up there at Coffs Harbor in the new year.
0: That being the case, there'll be a, a farewell service of sorts coming up on the eighteenth of December.
1: Yeah, uh, the eighteenth of December in the evening. It'll be our last night service of the year. We're going to try to get the youth band to come play. Uh, we're going to encourage the young adults and really people that have been a part of uh, Stephen's ministry while he's been here to come to that service. Uh, there might be some food either before or after. We'll you know we'll we'll try to get that organized. But if that indeed ends up being uh, one of the, the last services we'll organize a part of that to be farewell and just to recognize corporately what God is doing I think that's that's really the best thing we can say about it. it's not like a goodbye party it's a part of our worship to recognize that God moves his people where he wants them and he equips them to serve in, in various places and so I think to do that as part of a worship service is actually really important
0: bittersweet as you said before yeah
1: yeah very bittersweet. there's no doubt we'll miss the coals if it indeed comes to that but in the family of God, I think you're never you're never really separated you you there's a unity in the spirit and I'll never forget, I was in California after about 15 years of being in college ministry, and I saw my former college pastor out of nowhere, and I just ran across the room, and it was like I was right back, and, and um, that's what it is in the kingdom of God. It's one of the huge blessings to to belong to one another in Christ.
0: All right, moving on this afternoon, Dr. J, time for another special guest. Very special guest we have joining us today, Marcus Reed From Riverston Baptist. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon.
0: Thanks for popping by.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: You're like our like our neighbour in the spiritual sense and the physical sense. Yeah,
2: that's right. That's right. Eh?
0: <laughs> Give yeah. us a little bit of your of your backstory. How did you come to to know Christ and stuff?
2: I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was a pastor. I was born in Chester Hill, and um, he was pastoring then. And then we moved to the Central Coast, and he was at a church there. And then when I was about uh, seven, I came to Castle Hill BAPS and Dad was there for quite some time. Through a really positive example from them and through a, a great church community that really were supportive, um, I gradually affirmed the faith of my parents and probably about my mid-teens, I was baptized. And um,
1: So was there a pressure like with your dad as a pastor? Did you feel this sense of like, oh, one of these days i'm going to have to do this like <laughs> or like how did you separate that out from like how did you separate separate your parents obviously faith from what would become your own
2: early on like when i was really little i remember i often talk about this like i remember at school telling kids not to say the lord's name in vain and and I, but i don't know how real my faith was i was mm. like in primary school mm. and then i think there was kind of a a growth in experiencing a Christian church community, and ex- and and my parents' positive example, and it was probably like in that mid teen time that I that it became my own. I probably moved from being a grandchild of God to mm. a child of God, mm. because I think a lot of that time it was a borrowed, not an experienced faith, mm, yeah. and. Um, I, I really have a vivid memory of an experience of God, a subjective experience of God that kind of affirmed hmm. everything my parents had laid out for me hmm. and everything my Christian community had laid out for me. Now, was
1: that something that somebody else kind of sparked, or did that just happen to you? Like, or did you seek that out? That's I'm very interested to hear.
2: Yeah. Our youth leaders, they used to just... Take a bunch of us out for for prayer meetings in parks and stuff like that. And one of which was my brother. Yeah, it was at one of these times where we're at a place called Cocaine Reserve in (laughs) (laughs) Castle. It's spelt differently. (laughs) Wow, Um, our (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, We got a whole new audience. (laughs) (laughs) No drugs taken. Um, Yeah, but we had this prayer meeting, and I know I'm not always really open to subjective experiences and re- like sometimes i can be cynical about such things but mm-hmm. for myself and and at least two others present it was a really definitive night and mm. you know three guys there that that had this encounter with god and we all got baptized as a result of that ca- encounter that night mm. and so it was a really significant thing and i kind of i see it as that moment i stepped over the line and yeah, became a child of God. Yeah.
0: Was it around that time that you wanted to be you know, like you felt you're being led into ministry? Like, yeah, no, pretty
2: pretty quick on the heels of that. And mm-hmm. I think having a, a dad in ministry uh, meant that you know one way in which I saw very up close and personal uh, faith being lived out is in a pastoral context. So mm-hmm. I think those two things merged for me quite a lot, mm-hmm. and i think from very early on I, I had a desire to to do what dad had done and differentiating you know his experience from mine or whatever i don't know i don't know like i i see that as part of my call to faith
0: yeah he' is, i've heard your your dad speak a number of times he's, he's a very beautiful soft-spoken yeah, man a very kind heart yeah,
2: yeah. he's a good guy uh, one of the things I don't know that like, touching on what you said, like that, my dad was really proactive about. Was in a church as a pastor's kid. Oh, it wasn't a big church, like three fifty or something like yeah, big in some church. sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so people knew us. They knew us as kids, and my dad was always very protective of us. And mm. if anyone expected more of us than any other kid. Mm. Uh, he would take them to task, yeah. and he was not heavy-handed kind of, <laughs> mm, yes. but just like he, he just said, you know, they're kids like any other mm. kids. Let them mm. grow up, let yeah. them... There is a lot of pressure on them.
0: pastor's kids, hey?
2: Yeah, there can be. There can be. And I, because of my dad's attitude towards our like... I never felt that kind of pressure. And actually, I felt almost the reverse. Like, it's like sometimes mm. I was just blown away at the number of people in our church family that, because I was a pastor's kid, would walk up to me and say, I pray for you guys every day. Mm. And it's like, Wow, like I don't even know your name, <laughs> and you're praying for me. Like that's what a blessing. I know that's not everyone's experience. Some people have a yeah. really difficult experience, but mine was overwhelmingly a positive one. Not only was my dad kind of protective of, you know, any higher expectation, but I think the church was pretty good too. They didn't. They didn't
1: tell you what they were praying for, though, did they? They just said, they yeah. "Yeah." So you never know. I I'm mean, sure we gave you plenty. Could have been some imprecatory prayers in there. I mean, yeah. Please help that kid to shut up. No, just
0: kidding. Your wife's been a dear friend of mine for a long, long time. Yep. So yep. I'm I'm reluctant to to interrupt because this is probably the first chance you've actually had to get a word out for, for many, many years. <laughs> yeah. But um, God has seen your faith. I discovered this morning, and and He's. Seen to bring Striper to Australia next year, which is like a dream of yours. <laughs> okay. It
2: is It is a dream of mine. So, do you want me to explore that? Oh, please,
1: <laughs> a, please please <laughs> explain Striper to well, they're like the, a, the they're vast a, majority of the population. Yeah, it's know it's a very I'll let, niche I'll you, audience. I'll let you explain it. What so is Striper, first of all?
2: Striper is a Christian heavy metal band from okay. the 80s. All they right. were like a hair metal band, you know, those... Mm. that ugly period in (laughs) musical history um i was massively into it me and my brother you know it's it's ridiculous kind of to think about but um they're actually an important way of sustaining my faith and um i don't know recently i've i think i've had some kind of midlife crisis and i've move from folky music back to the music I used yeah. to listen to when I was 15 years old and so Striper have made a comeback in our house and <laughs> they're still doing their thing, they're like 60 years old and they're still doing their thing and they're coming to yeah. Australia so coming get next out year. There. Chris Cullen will be excited <laughs> Chris Cullen, I let him know straight away, yeah.
0: I love being friends with you on social media because you seem to be a real searcher of knowledge you seem to have this real hunger for knowledge mm. and you're always quoting some new book, you read or some podcast you listen to is that just like a constant state of of being for you
2: yeah like my dad was a bookish man Mm. (laughs) all through school that wouldn't have been true of me like I wasn't a good student wasn't very motivated much Mm. to their uh, dismay (laughs) and you know I'm sure my dad at times thought who are these four boys that I have like Mm. they're all sporty none of them are into the same folks he's not into sport at all and Mm. Uh, but he had his way. Like ultimately, like he shaped my vocational course, and and his love of learning, hmm. it got me in the end. And now I'm just I'm just hooked on learning new stuff, whether it's history or uh, theology. Obviously, um,
1: he yeah. did, did. Did did I get this correct? Didn't he do a PhD while he was pastoring?
2: He did. Yeah, he did on midlife spirituality. There you um, go. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, that's very close to my situation. I'm actually I'm trying to thread that needle myself. Um, wow, uh, so anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so my first question is, how much trauma do you have uh, left from that period? No, yeah, I'm just curious. Uh, I'd love to hear. This might not. This might not make the air, but, <laughs> but but I would love to hear. How did you go with a dad who was kind of engaged in ministry, which can be all-consuming, while also trying to do some doctoral research?
2: Yeah, like my my dad like a lot of people of that generation he, he worked a lot he mm. worked really hard mm. um, like I never had any doubts that he loved us and mm. that um, what he was doing he was doing well in part for us to yep. provide for us as a family um, but like we didn't see heaps of him uh, growing up I would have loved to have seen him more at the sporting field and stuff like that but But he was doing the best that he could and with uh, the model of fathering that he had. and uh, Yeah, like like I said, uh, not many people can say they've never doubted their father's love for them. Mm. Um, (laughs) Mm. uh, But I've never, never doubted that.
1: You talked about sport. Anyway, in America, the thing is to trade baseball cards, right? What if they came up with baseball cards but for preachers? (laughs) (laughs) so if we were to have like a baseball card for marcus reed the preacher like what's the what's the little description on the back you know does he have a good fastball is he like uh you know is is he a closer or is you know marcus the illustrator reed i I don't know like what's
2: (laughs) people (laughs) tell me to my face they might say something different over lunch or on the way home in the car but they say that i'm a clear communicator and they it's important. Yeah, always pretty encouraging. I'm conversational in style. And so at times, maybe when it comes to complex bits, I'm a bit tentative. And I, I put forward it as, this is what I think I understand from this. I don't know if that's the right thing to do as a preacher, <laughs> but it's certainly how I how I preach.
0: How long have you been pastor now at Riverside?
2: Uh 18 years, yeah. So good stint. I started off as a chaplain and youth pastor, alongside Chris Cullen, actually, mm. at, at Riverson. And, um, good dude. Yeah, good dude. <laughs> and Yeah, super empowering, encouraging dude.
0: Because the, the cultural landscape's changed a fair bit for you guys too, hasn't it? Over there?
2: Yeah, massively. So uh, when I came, I came because they were anticipating that the area was about to explode, and it didn't. Uh, it was a little bit into the future. It was a very Anglo community by and large with a small kind of indigenous population. and our church was has been very Anglo in a lot of ways, but it's radically shifted now and uh, it's just been explosive growth down our corridor. Yeah, thankfully like we've seen that reflected in our church. So now we have quite a few Indian people, Filipino people, uh, so it's really wonderful. I think one of the things that's happened for us as a community is we're formed in the context of a school, and that always meant for the church that they were moving, that they were flexible, that they had to change buildings. And
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I think that set up a culture of being fairly adaptable. Mm-hmm. And our older generation, God bless them, are uh, really Wonderful, <laughs> and they're really uh, open to meeting the challenges of the next season. They've been great in, you know, just being open, open handed. We've got a pretty welcoming culture, I think, and yeah, it's 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 enriched our church no end. So I'm
1: super grateful for that. I don't know if you would agree with this, but I find that pastoring is a it's an it's an interesting position because you're in the fishbowl and that people often have thoughts about you and they see you, you're on a platform regularly, but they're often not actually in the bowl with you and they don't know what it's like. So my question is, what would you say to somebody who is thinking about going into ministry about the challenges that come with being seen, but maybe not being known as a person, uh, who's in, who's in pastoral ministry?
2: Yeah, I'd say that that is a real thing. <laughs> mm. And uh, it's, it's really important in that context to have good friendships. I'm blessed to have those within the context of the church. Uh, people that I have a long history with, that predates my connection with them
1: through the church, if that makes sense. See, that's really interesting because I've, know in some circles that people are pastors are told don't make friends with people in the congregation but would you say that you found the opposite
2: yeah i i, I just i just need them mm. <laughs> i mean it, it's important then that you make yourself av- available for a broader circle but um i certainly have people in the context in which i serve who know me mm. outside of my role and i think would continue with me if I were to finish up or, you know, people that I really love <laughs> mm-hmm. and um yeah, have invested in me. So yeah, I, I can see why it could get complicated. Um but but it's worthwhile having friendships. It's just as
1: a commendation to you, Marcus, and it's not, you know, having known you as a friend. I consider you a friend having known you as a friend for some time. I think oh, that yes. what you've just shared it speaks to the authenticity within which you minister to say that I can actually form a relationship with somebody in my church and there's actually no disconnect. It means that when you're shepherding and pastoring, you're not putting on a front. This is just who you are. Okay. I think that's beautiful and lovely.
0: Thanks. Off the back of that, that topic, the stats a, while, a fair while back weren't amazing in terms of the number of pastors that came out of ministry still kind of in, intact, I suppose emotionally <laughs> intact. From the sounds of it, are we looking after our pastors better better than we used to? This is for both of you.
2: Yeah, from my experience, I enjoyed college life. That's not everyone's experience. You know, once you hit the ground, it's a different, different game. <laughs> but I felt like there was good people investing in me and I've always sought out those opportunities. College was very explicit about, hey, have a renewal retreat group, meet with other pastors, yeah. you know, look after your time off and stuff like that. And so I think I heard those lessons and it took me a while and at various times I've kind of dropped out of those things, but I inevitably go back to them. And I feel like our congregation, perhaps that's why I've been there so long, has really looked after me well in every way. Just uh, encouragement, paid me properly, and you know, very thoughtful as a congregation, and so I've been very blessed. I know that's not everyone's experience, so I feel like I've been looked after, but I don't know if that's. Mm. What about you, Johnny?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll try to answer that from the macro level. I think what we're seeing, Arden, is that there's a failure here. I really think there's a gap, and. It's a gap. I think it's not intentional. I don't think it's malicious. I think a lot of it has to do with the model of what we're perpetuating as a society right now and as a culture. And I see that bleeding into the church, how uh, we, you know, in our culture at large, we've become predominantly consumers. And when that bleeds into the church, then you have this environment where the pastor or pastors, ministers, whoever, can become platformed. We sort of create this distance. We want our person up front, the spokesperson to be kind of larger than life because that's what our stars are. That's what our uh, pop culture is all about is having these kind of sort of mythical people out there who we don't really know about, but when they show up in front of our eyes for 40 minutes, Man, forty w- minutes—that's <laughs> the dream. <laughs> 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 Little cheeky one, <while> there. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> Keep dreaming, maybe. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, you—you know—you put them—you put them up on these pedestals. So I think I think largely what we're seeing is a failure in the model. But I will tell you that what the stats are showing is that pastors are becoming uh, lonelier and lonelier. They do not really have Marcus's experience of mm. having many friends in the church. I read a stat the other week, one in 10 pastors will retire as a pastor. Yep. That means yeah, they find other work yeah. before they stop working, which I think says something about the way we we have structured the ministry. Now, there's a tremendous blessing, uh, I think, bound up in the role. There's a tremendous cost that's bound up in the role but I think there's also just been a general lack of awareness. Um, And then you have the fact right now that I don't think we're presenting a good model for people. I don't know anyone who would look at what I do and say, you know what? That looks like a really healthy, sustainable. <laughs> we want to serve the Lord, but yeah, well, I think the way we present it sometimes it feels like it's like, hey, who wants to be the first person off the boat at Normandy? You know, <laughs> like <laughs> you got to be a little bit, you know, daft to to want to do that, or we celebrate the glory of the sacrifice. And I don't think that's what that's what it's meant to be either. I don't think it's about you know, hey, look at me, look what I'm going through for Jesus. Isn't this great? That's not the model either. So. I think we need to do a lot of thinking in this space. I think the associations gotten wiser to that. They're really instituting professional development. They're encouraging mm-hmm. retreat groups, yeah. encouraging you yeah. to do those things. But a lot of it's self-directed. Yeah. It and is. and I think you know. So if I don't do it, or if you don't seek it out, Marcus, like you said, you know, we're we're really putting ourselves in a vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. And and I think the congregations in the for the most part, they're just not aware. And I don't think it's malicious. I just think it's they have pressures and demands and 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 they feel like you're there to look after them. So,
0: one thing I that has always kind of irked me, I guess, is when church just becomes like another club or another thing that we sign up to and mm. we do and we go along this week because we went along last week. <laughs> Surely there's there's something more to it. What's what's God been doing over the years at Riverston for you? What what have been the kind of the big the big moments?
2: I think one of the big moments for me was just seeing that ministry belongs to the body. Mm. that it's, it's a communal operation. <laughs> and um, probably early on in my ministry life, I thought I was more central than I actually was. And I just, from the start, I just noticed that people cared for and loved one another and ministered to one another. And I probably thought, you know, the long talks... <laughs> we're, what, what do you we're, mean? The, <laughs> were were more in, not that they're not important clearly teaching God's word is important but mm. there's more to church life and some of the most transformational moments in church life are just chats with some believer about the outworking of faith in their workplace or you know seeing God at work in their life and so I guess I've just opened my eyes in more recent times to what God is doing among his people and trying to um, become more aware of that. Uh, I think one of the things you can do as a pastor, and I've certainly been guilty of, is just getting a bit of tunnel vision about my own importance and place, but I'm pretty sure the church would be fine without me <laughs> um but god has been gracious and allowed me to be involved mm. so um, mm. just yeah i think i think some of my thinking about my role and the broader ministry of the church has changed
0: it's great to see god doing so much in the body at, at riverston there and you're obviously a big part of that do you think that kind of power will ever extend to manly do you think we'll see anything transformational happen there
2: I'm hoping, mate, <laughs> but my, my faith is limited <laughs> heading into this coming season, but I can
1: hope and pray. <laughs> thank you, Marcus, so much for coming and joining us. It's been such a privilege to really hear your heart, and I think anyone who's been paying attention really sees uh, the gentleness and the humility, and it brought to mind Paul's words. Um, I think it's in his first epistle to Timothy where he says, you know, I thank Christ Jesus that he accounted me worthy. Of this of this honor to be able to serve him, and I just love that attitude and that's something I'm going to take with me, so thank you. Thank
2: you
0: thanks, thanks for joining for us, Marcus you. Pastor Marcus Reed there from Riverston Baptist.
1: Yes, this week's special guest, Marcus Reed, what a dear friend, what a dear man. Uh, he's kind of one of my closest neighbors uh, in the ministry. Uh, he pastors at Riverson Baptist Church. We got kids who go to the same school, kids in the same 8 year group, so I keep bumping into him at all these end of year assemblies, and uh, just love uh, Marcus and Reem and and their family. They've been such a blessing to us.
0: Great hearing from Marcus there, and as you as you say, nice to um, just hear that humility coming through there, and 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 yeah, what what a, just a kind heart.
1: Yeah, I vividly recall just just having coffee with him a few months back, and. It's something profound when when you're around someone who knows the gospel, knows what it means to be loved by God, and is, is just not thinking about themselves. I mean, those are the people you want to be around, people who aren't consumed with how they're coming off or what their agenda is, but just plainly have this really passionate interest in in the things of christ and not really their own agenda so i i've i've always found marcus to be incredibly refreshing and i was so glad that we could have a chat with him today
0: well thanks for coming along for another week this week at winter yeah number 15 15
1: already what are we going to stop at
0: 150
1: more